0: Revelation four and five, I mean you can't you can't cover Revelation four and five in <clears throat> in uh, two hours um, but take take the notes, go in the prayer room, start going verse by verse through them. it'll be a, it'll be a life-giving thing for you. Um, I like to I like to say you know there's certain areas of the Bible that I just make my habit. Revelation really the book of Revelation I make a habit. Song of Solomon, I make a habit. Um, Sermon on the Mount, it's like a habit. What I mean is, when I don't have something to study, I'm going one of those directions. I'm, I'm going into the book of Revelation. I'm going into uh, Song of Solomon. I'm going into the Sermon on the Mount. John 13 to 17, which we're going we're gonna to do a little mini-series on that, starting on Sunday, starting this week. Um, I make those portions sort of my habit to just come back to. Um, I studied everything, but Revelation four and five. If you were going to extract a couple chapters from the book of Revelation to say, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to lean into these really hard," Revelation four and five would be. I would say that would be that would be worth worth your while. I don't want to say it's better than other chapters. Revelation one is incredible. Um, anyway, it's just a good spot. If you wanted to pick a good spot to lock in, Revelation four and five is really really good. Um, let me lay this out a little bit contextually, so we get what's going on in the story. I know different people come from different backgrounds and have heard different things on the Book of Revelation, and some people are like all into it. They love watching prophecy teachers on TV and the guys that quote the verses and all the tags everywhere, and you're like, man, it's so good. There's quoting so many verses, and, and then some people are like, I don't even read the Book of Re- Revelation because you know 666 and all that. And so um, I get it. So let me just give you this. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of Satan. It's not the revelation of Antichrist. It's not the revelation of 666. It's not the revelation of the dragon. It's not the revelation of any of that. (laughs) That's awesome, Lisa. (laughs) This is so good. I want a picture and video of this. I want to say this: Lisa and Nathan Camp are some of our dearest friends in life. The fact that Lisa is in this internship, you have no idea how meaningful that is. She's a beautiful friend of ours. She and Nathan, lifelong friends. I actually officiated their wedding. Glory to God! Oh, wow. Yeah, some se- seventy-five years ago. How long ago was it? <laughs> Twenty-five. Twenty-three. Uh, Twenty-three years ago, it was my first wedding I ever officiated. 50 weddings later. Anyway, so uh, here's what's going on. It's not the revelation of any of those things, the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, 666. Ah! It's not the revelation of the end of the world. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so just zoom out a little bit and I go, hey, this is a 22-chapter book that is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Would you be interested in that as a believer, right? So the idea is, I've even heard Bible teachers say, I just stay away from the book of Revelation. Nobody really knows what it means. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ, man. Like, we we better get into this one. And so... That's how it starts off, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what this book is about. And you're going to find more densely packed verses that um, show us, that unveil to us who Jesus is, what his calling is, what he's like in the book of Revelation than really anywhere else in the scripture. And so what you have in the book of Revelation is you have the unfolding of the way that God is going to wrap up his activity of the kingdom in this age and start the next age. And then he gives us thoughts on even the ages to come, which Paul established in Ephesians 2, that there are ages to go. Listen, this idea that after you die, that you sort of turn into like a fat baby floating on a cloud, wearing a toga, playing a harp, that is completely wrong. That is not in the scripture. You don't turn into a ghost. You don't turn into, you know, some little cherub. (laughs) You know, um, you don't turn into, it's a wonderful life. What's the guy's name? Clarence. Clarence. You don't, there aren't bells ringing, getting wings. None of that's real. What is real is this, that Jesus is going to wrap up this age by his return And when he returns, he's bringing saints and angels with him. And the book of Revelation unpacks how he is going to unfold that last sort of chapter of human history in this age. And then it shows us how he's transitioning this earth into the next age. There are ages to come. And here's what you got to catch. When you're reading the book of Revelation... What's happening in this age has continuity into what's going to happen into the next age. Your Christianity was never supposed to be about your 70 years on the earth in this age. It's supposed to be an eternal life, okay? So the 70 years here for now, they transition into a thousand years in what is called the age to come. Some people call it the millennium. And that transitions into the eternal age. That's all laid out in the book of Revelation. And it's not like cloudy or maybe I'm adding stuff. It's like right in there. So my point is, this book gives us the end of the story and where this thing is going. And it's so meaningful because we get to understand Jesus in a way that maybe we've just really not understood him. And I don't know about you, but for some reason, I like to read the end of the book first. Even my magazines, I don't know why I do that, but I'll pick up a magazine and I'll start in the back. I don't know why I do that, but I do. I just like, I don't know. I I like to know where it's going, I guess. I'm not sure why. Well, that's what the book of Revelation tells us, is where it's all going. And I think because there's been so much confusion around it, we don't know where things are going. So because we don't know where they're going, we don't know how to live day in and day out. And 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 so we live really confused and disconnected from the, the, the direction of the kingdom, and it's just it's just not it's no way to live. And so um, here's how it goes. Chapter one, about the first half of the half of the chapter, that's called a prologue. I'm telling you this just so you, when you get to reading it, you get it. John's written the prologue after he's had the encounter. Okay. In other words, he's had the encounter and he goes back and he writes an introduction to what happened to him, and then it shifts in the middle of Revelation one. He goes, "I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice behind me, like a trumpet." And John is in a he's in an island prison called Patmos. If you think of um, Alcatraz out in San Francisco Bay. That's where John is. He's in a, 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 an island prison called Patmos in the Greek archipelago. He's out there on this island and he's, he's praying and Jesus shows up. I mean, this is the best quiet time ever. I just want one of those, Lord, on this side. Just give me one. I know, And I always tell the Lord, I go, even if it scares me, even if it freaks me out completely, even if I can't talk for a week, I just, could you just hit me with one? And then I'm like, I'll, I'll even take an angel. I don't even mind. Like, just freak me out. <laughs> Un- unzip the veil, walk through, shock me. I'll sit there freaking out. It's cool. And I'll just put the pieces together later. I'm, I'll, be, I'll be glad. Well, that's what happens with John. Jesus shows up on the island prison, Patmos, And he hears this voice, John hears this voice behind him like a trumpet. He says, I am the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and the omega. The things that you hear, write these to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Why does Jesus tell him to write to those seven churches? Because John is the apostle over those seven churches. That's who John has authority over. These are real churches in John's day that Jesus was giving real instructions to. Okay, it's not mystical. It's it's like got, I mean it's super mystical, but it's got like real tactical application. And John says I turned I turned to see the voice. Boom. And he turns to see Jesus. <clears throat> and his eyes are like a flame of fire. His face is shining like the sun in its strength. His head and his hair are white as wool, white as snow. He has a garment down to his feet. He's got a gold band around his waist. When he spoke, it sounded like the, the sound of many waters. Think Niagara Falls. <sighs> you know, when the sound's going through you. he says... I am the beginning and the end. I'm he who is dead, but I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And John says, John's his best friend. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. And he said, he came over to me and he put his hand on me and he said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Guys, that's what we're made for. We're made to encounter the beauty of Jesus. And then what we get in chapter 2 and chapter 3 is Jesus gives John seven letters. And he writes them down, chapter 2 and chapter 3 and then we get a dramatic scene change in chapter four. And so in chapter four, he says, after these things, that, that, this marks a shift in the entire encounter. And so John goes from having this shocking, beautiful, transformative, transcendent encounter with Jesus, with John's feet on the planet and Jesus there visiting, He says, after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Let's just read chapter four. And the first voice which I heard, or the NIV says it, uh, and the voice I had first heard. In other words, it's the same voice as the voice he had heard when he was on Patmos. It's Jesus. Jesus. And the the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, Come up here, and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the thrones I saw twenty-four elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back, The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, "You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will, they, uh, by your, And by your will they exist and were created." It's powerful. So John goes from having his feet planted on Patmos. He looks and there is a door open standing in the sky. Now this is just incredible because he, he's had the best quiet time ever and now it's going to go up a notch. And, and so what we're getting the opportunity to peer into is a human, a, a real man who gets really radically encountered and is literally taken to heaven. We get to see what that's like, the biblical explanation of it. Now, people have testimonies of experiencing the throne room, and I love those testimonies, and I believe those testimonies, but we actually have a biblical um, explanation, a biblical record of when that's really happened. I mean, uh, Paul said this happened to him. And he, when he described it, he said, he said, I heard stuff I wasn't allowed to write down. Mm-hmm. Wow. I saw, he said, inexpressible words. <laughs> he's, I heard things that it's not lawful for men to, to, to write. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a point where John, in this encounter, he, he's not allowed to write certain things. He literally sees stuff in God that he's not allowed to write. But most of the time in this encounter, John is just getting faced. He's just getting his face blown off. And he has to be told to write seven times, like several times. Hey John, write that down. He's like, oh right, yeah. Hey, John, write that down. Oh, God. That's all right, okay. <laughs> and what you realize is when you get into the when you get into the text and you get under the when you get under the original language, commentators will tell you this that Chapter 1 is written in this nice prose kind of way, but after chapter 1, it's shorthand. It's, it, the, the, the way that the writing is completely changes, shorthand is not right. It's, just, it's much more concise, and the reason why is John is in an encounter. I don't understand how he has a piece of paper and a pen, but he does. Or whatever it is, it's, it's probably a, it's, it's probably a papyrus. It's a papyrus and a quill. He's got it, and he's writing stuff while he's going through it. And what you what you get to imagine is this. The veil, it just just gets very thin between heaven and earth and time and eternity. And John is experiencing very physical, literal things while he's on the other side. And so even in the writing style, it's, it's evident that he's just writing as fast as he can to explain what he's going through. So this door is standing open and he hears Jesus' voice and he says, come up here. And there's so much in all these verses to unpack. Um, I just need to be mindful of our time. And John, he go, he literally blasts off through the door. I mean, could you just just put yourself in John's shoes for just a half a second? Just dream. What could what what was that like, man? What was that like? You heard the sound of a a voice like a trumpet. You turn around and there's Jesus and it's so powerful you fall over dead. And then he gives you these seven letters and then, man, you're standing there and boom, a door is open. And he says it again. Come up here like a trumpet. And now you're flying. Come on. I I want that encounter. That is so good. He goes, I've got to show you things, John. I'm gonna show you what's gonna take place. And I just, I don't know how this impacts you, but for me, I just go, well, if you did it for John, do it for me. If you did it for Ezekiel, if you did it for Paul, if you did it for Daniel, they're just dudes. Like really, do it for me. He goes, I'll show you things that have to take place after this. He goes, immediately I was in in the spirit. I interpret that as I blasted off through the door. (laughs) 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 And behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. He is now gone from feet on the planet to standing in the throne room of the uncreated God. And he's looking on the throne. Revelation 4, just for your own study, Revelation 4 is giving us details of the Father. Revelation 5 is going to give us details of the Son. Okay? And so he is now... In Revelation 4 and 5, it's one scene. Like the, chap- the chapter break doesn't help us really at all. It's one scene. In fact, Revelation 6 is a part of the same scene. It, it, so it's one, one scene. And, and so he's now standing before the throne of the eternal father. And, and he says this phrase, a throne set in heaven. And that when you, when you get a revelation of a throne set in heaven it will change your prayer life. Because this throne is the throne. Every other supposed throne is no throne. This throne is set, and it's set in a seat of government that is is—it's exceedingly, it's infinitely above every other government. I don't care who the king is. I don't care the White House. I don't care Saudi princes. I don't care who you are on earth and your little throne. Your little baby throne is silly compared to the throne set in heaven. And here's the thing. It might take somebody to pull crazy strings for you to get an audience with the presidents of the United States, but I want to tell you something. The strings have already been pulled for you to get an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and you can walk right into this throne right now by the blood of Jesus, and you have an audience with the one who's on the throne set in heaven, and this throne is not impacted by any other throne it's not under the influence of any sh- sanctions or economic trade agreements it's not under the, 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 it doesn't it doesn't sway over military might this throne is established it's set in heaven and when you pray You're not back row, please God help. You you come in by the blood of Jesus and you are standing before that throne and just as John had a physical audience with the father on the throne, you have a spiritual audience with the father on the throne. Every bit as real as what John had. We come near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We always need it, so he's always giving it. And that's what prayer is, an audience with this one on the throne. It's a throne set in heaven, and then one seated on the throne. Well, there's a couple points. Number one, amazingly, the father has something called corporality. What does that mean? He has a body. How do I know he's got a body? Because he's sitting. And there's a dozen other verses that give us details of the Father and and, and identify that he has this corporal form. He's seated there. He's he's the eternal one. He's from everlasting to everlasting. He's the one that Jesus spoke of and said, uh, no one knows the Father except the Son. Could you imagine what is going on in John? Because he knows the Moses encounter. He knows that you can't see my face and live. He knows all that. And John blasts off and he lands and he's staring at one seated on the throne. Am I dead? Am I alive? Am I going to die if I am alive? Like, what is this? So like in the garden, it's just a super simple question, but like in the garden, sometimes I imagine God just being there. But he actually walked in the cool of the day with Mm -hmm. him. So God is. Yeah. Corporality. corporality. Yeah. See that? It's when I see God, I do see Jesus. And I never really view God as like a corporality network. Yeah. So it's interesting for me to view it that way. Yeah. The Father and the Son both have physical form, corporal form. The Spirit does not. like a dove, like a dove in. He, he fell like a dove but he wasn't a dove oh. the, the, the movie that has the dove kind of fly in and land bro I thought John saw a dove <laughs> no he, he saw something come the way a dove and the way a dove dives is fast he saw, he saw power, light, glory, beauty yeah. whoomp fall on Jesus that's yeah. more sensibility, yeah. man. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. That's like too much from that. If Holy Spirit came from... Me, <laughs> please. <laughs> Come on. Here I go. I'm going to like perch. Nah, no man. No. That's so much cooler. I'm like more excited about the park. That's funny. Yeah, we can... T- <laughs> So let's, uh, let's talk about corporality afterwards. We'll stay on this train. He said, And the one that sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So I would encourage you, and I think this is in the notes, but read when you read Revelation 4 and 5, read Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 1. Those are, those are chapters that are uh, complementary. And you're, you'll find that Daniel and Ezekiel have like the exact same encounter. It's got different facets to it, but they're experiencing the throne of God. And, and, and the, the details are very similar. Ezekiel 1, Daniel 7. So notice when it says like... It's because it wasn't, but it was similar to. Simile and metaphor is used often to describe things that are infinite and eternal because we don't have anything on this side that is exactly like what he's seeing. And so, uh, Jasper and Sardis. Jasper is basically, uh, it would be the ancient diamond. So this is a diamond-like glowing light coming off of the father. Sardius would be like the ancient ruby. So it's just, he's got this diamond-like green, the, the ancient jasper had a green hue, this diamond-like green light coming off of him. He's got this, uh, this ruby-like red light coming off of him, this beautiful, beautiful uh, j- jewel light. I don't know what jewel light is, but that's what's coming off of him. And there's a rainbow around the throne. That, that around is not this, it's this. the wheel Different, different, but uh, is mysterious. She says that the wheel is the a wheel, Ezekiel 1. So the rainbow that's around the throne is more of a dome. Okay? And uh, <laughs> the rainbow on the throne in appearance like an emerald. All right, let's just stop there. We have jasper light. We have sardius light. We've got diamond-like, light green, ruby red, beautiful gem-like light. We have an emerald rainbow dome. What in the actual heck is an emerald rainbow dome? Like, what is that? What is he even talking about right here? Well, some would say, well, who cares? I mean, we don't know what it is, or who cares? I I care because it's in the Bible. And the reason the details are in the Bible is because they're supposed to impact us. So here's the point. You put stuff in your room that you like. You decorate the way you like. Why? Because it expresses something about you. And what is going on in the throne room is an expression of who God is. And what we see in verse three is this is coming out of him. So this beauty, this glory, this light, these colors, that's all emanating from the eternal father. Like when you're approaching him, don't picture like, like the mad judge. That's so not who he is and so boring. When you approach him, He is, he is... The, the scripture says he dwells in unapproachable light. He wraps himself in light like a garment. He is beautiful and glorious. He's shocking. He's overwhelming to the senses. He, he is Jasper and Sardius. He is diamond-like, ruby-like. This is flowing off of him. When you come in to, to stand before the Lord, it is an overwhelming experience of wonder, fascination, glory, and beauty. There's a reason why you like interesting colors. There's a reason why you like sunsets. There's a reason why you like amazing art and fireworks. There's a reason why you like all that stuff. All that stuff that, that it, it, it attracts you and it enthralls you, all of it, he, it, the scripture says it's all a shadow compared to the real. And what's coming off of him makes Steven Spielberg look like an infant. Look like a baby. Baby filmmaker. <laughs> it just what's coming off of the being of God it's supposed to captivate you. He is captivating. It's supposed to make you wonder. It's supposed to shock you. It's supposed to be, you, you ever seen like a crazy sunset? I remember when my wife and I, the first time we went to Hawaii, we went on our 10th anniversary, and the first night there, it was like the sun hit the ocean and it exploded into the sky. And it was every color. And I literally did the full-on tourist. I pulled over to the side of the road. I was like standing outside my car like, what in the heck? And all the locals are going by normal because this is every night. But I've never seen anything like that. And I'm just... I, I'm I'm just mind boggled. I'm taking pictures. I'm like, what is going on? And that's that's shadow compared to him. If 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 somebody walked in here with a ten karat rock diamond, right? I mean, just bling times a million. All right. And let's just say we had all the lights like really tuned and pointed to the diamond. And it is facets blowing up all over the room, right? And, and, and I'm holding it in front of you guys. And you're like, oh my gosh. And, and, and we, we just set it there and we have all the lights exploding everywhere. And the fastest beauty color fire everywhere. And I'm, and, I'm, and I'm looking at the shadow that's cast on the floor. And I'm going, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it amazing? Wow! You'd all be going like, what is your deal? <laughs> Do you not see the fire, the glory, the wa- This is a 10 karat perfect diamond. I mean, it is exploding in this room, and you're staring at the shadow. Guys, this is how most people live their lives. Imagining that there's, some, there's something more practical about the shadow. You're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That is a lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you are not heavenly minded, you will be no earthly good. Mm-hmm. There's no way to be earthly good unless you are captivated with the center of reality, yeah. which is the throne room of God. He- hear me really clearly. All of reality, all of reality is centered in this place of the greatest beauty and wonder and glory. The closer you are to this place, the more in tune with reality you are. Because this one is the one who gives meaning to all things. He's the center of all created order. His throne is the center, it's ground zero for what's normal. Do you hear that? His throne room is ground zero for what is what is reality, what is existence, what is normalcy. He is. The further you get away from this throne, the more distant you are from reality. The further, the closer you come to this throne, the more in tune you are with ultimate reality. I don't care how wealthy you are. I don't care what status you have. I don't care what throne you sit on, what business you run, how many likes or forwards you get. None of that's real if it's distant from this place. Does that make sense? And so your life, it it, it becomes more and more meaningless the further you live from the place of ultimate reality. And the closer you live to this place, the more meaningful. And we spend our lives, it's shocking, captivated with the shadow. When fire is available and is exploding all around us. There's a reason why Paul said, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, you will be revealed with him in glory. There's a reason why he said, 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, "We, we behold him and we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is how they taught the first church to live, with eyes fixed on the throne, and somehow that concept has become weird or hyper-spiritual in the church, like, like somehow we're supposed to be more tuned into the headlines and the political climate and blah, 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 and, and, and if you're not into that, if you're not into the news headlines, then you're, you're, you're just out of it, man. No, no, those are out of it. Yes. There's a headline right here that says magnificence is just an eye close away from me because I have access to one seated on the throne. Take the biggest orchestra, the baddest light show, the biggest fireworks show, the most incredible sound system, the most you know amazing, vibrant movie experience, IMAX times a million. Take all of that, and it's infinitely below what John's experiencing. We, we just got to get that. Otherwise, we live bored and disconnected, chasing shadows with hearts that are completely closed down, trying to figure out what's the meaning of life anyway. All right, we're three verses in. This is great. <laughs> this is amazing. Y'all need a break? You're taking them. I'm watching y'all. All right, that's fine. See? All right. This playing, bitch. Verse four. So here's what we have. Wow, that's a lot of blessing. Around the throne were 24 thrones. On the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their head. Clothed and throned and crowned. Who are the 24 elders? It's up for grabs. Um, There's two predominant thrones. Thoughts on this? The one that I, that I agree with the most would be that they are the 12 apostles of the Lamb and the 12 patriarchs of Israel. I believe that's who's sitting on those thrones. These are elders. They're not referred to as angels, which that would be the other kind of theological strain is that these are angels, but angels aren't ever referred to as elders. Elders speak of a human um, rather than an angelic being. There's a lot there, I'll just go to verse five. Out of the being of God, from the throne proceed lightnings, thunderings and voices. So it's more than just this beautiful light show. Now we have sound and power and glory emanating from him. And and voices is also translated sounds. In and, and, uh, Revelation 15, we see it as sounds. And so there's songs, sounds. There's all sorts of stuff coming out of him. And I, I mean, John is absolutely getting overwhelmed with this. And and so when when you picture yourself before the throne, what do you think of? Like, Psalm 16, in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand or in his throne room are pleasures forevermore. So not only is it sound and and light and beauty, it's pleasure. It's it's color with feeling. It's thunder with feeling. It's lightning with feeling. And the feeling is pleasure. So what do you, when you think, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to close my eyes and pray. What, what, are you, what are you engaging with? I think sometimes we, we think about prayer like we're, we're taking a frisbee and trying to throw it through the ceiling. Hopefully, please. Somebody up there. Man upstairs, come on. But the scripture makes it clear we're, we have full access to this spot. Well, when you, when you go there, and see, that's why God gives you the imagination. He gives us details so that you can picture it in your mind. You know, and so you use your sanctified imagination when you go there with these biblical details and you you imagine yourself standing before the throne with thunders and lightnings and voices and jasper and sardius and 24 elders uh, enthroned, robed, and crowned. And the place is just animate with pleasure. All your pleasure centers are pinned to 10. All your, all, everything you can take in, it's pinned to 10. I mean, all your, all your scales are tipped. This is what we're coming before when we're praying.